This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. So if a mother um, is enrolled in an English 101 class that is typically on campus, um, her babysitter can't come that night. Why can't we? Why should we not? Why haven't we had our classroom set up with the technology so that she can still beam in, um, as you used to say, I think it was in Star Trek, beam in to the conference and doesn't have to miss that day. Um, so we're also thinking about, um, you know, how do we adjust some of the technology in our spaces as well? Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast. My name is Nate, and I'm your host and American Teacher Abroad. I'm a teacher. I've been doing this for 15 years. That means that I have like literally over a thousand former students walking the earth. A lot of my students go to university. And so higher ed is a topic that's important to me. Uh, on today's show, we have two guests. The first guest is a three-time guest now. So he's joining the Smoking Jacket Club, Alan Belton, the president of Pacific Lutheran University. He's bringing with him the president of Tacoma Community College, Ivan Harrell. These two came onto the show today to talk about higher ed and how the COVID outbreak and the COVID pandemic has forced them to rethink a lot of the things they do. Something that I appreciate in this conversation is that they share a sentiment that I share. It's absolutely insane after all that has happened in the world to go back to normal and do things the way that we used to do them. And so they're going to come on today and talk about reimagining school. Something that I really enjoy about this conversation is, is that in segment number two, we're going to talk through topics that are near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about what happens and the performance of K-12 schools and getting uh, students ready for college. We're going to talk about community college transfer students. These are students who go to community college for two years before transferring to a university for a bachelor's degree. And then... Uh, Alan is going to talk about the graduate programs offered at PLU. And then Ivan jumps back in and actually educates me about some of the bachelor degree programs that they have at TCC. And so this is a great conversation about higher ed. Uh, let's go to them right now. Ivan, this is your first time on the show. I'd like to welcome you. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, you're fairly new in the community. So uh, for the benefit of listeners, could you kind of lay out who you are and where you came from and how you became the leader of TCC? Absolutely. So again, good morning, everyone. Ivan Harrow, and I have the fortune and opportunity to serve as president of Tacoma Community College. And um, wow, this mark, this May 1st will be um, the end of three years. So time has gone by very quickly, um, although about a, a half of that time would have been during COVID. Um, sure. I am originally from um, Oberlin, Ohio, have been and worked in many cities and states. Um, prior to being here, I was executive vice president at Georgia Piedmont Technical College in um, the state of Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. And TCC is my sixth community and technical college that I had a chance to work with in six different states um, during my time in community college administration. Awesome. Welcome to the show. Uh, then, Alan, for you, this is an auspicious occasion for you. Uh, with this episode and conversation, your third visit to the show, you become a official member of the Smoking Jacket Society. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. I wish I smoked. <laughs> Give me, me some cigars. <laughs> I'm going to mess around and actually make jackets, but I think Lori Jenkins will get the first one just because, like, she's Speaker of the House and yeah. I need favors. Absolutely. Yep. Priorities. <laughs> uh, Alan, I want to start with you, and I just want to kind of like, – I want people to situate themselves in your brain and your work in your space. So you are the leader of a liberal arts university mm -hmm. with a strong reputation among uh, Lutherans and then a strong reputation among like in the region. Right. How has the last year of COVID and this pandemic shifted your work and shifted your thinking as a university president? Wow. You know, one of the biggest impacts, frankly, in the last year, uh, and and I'm not very prophetic generally, but I was asked very early on in the in the um, COVID experience, if you will, I think it was last April, 
Um, I was able to participate by invitation in something put on by the 12th Fed, believe it or not. So the Federal Reserve Bank out of San Francisco, and they asked me what my biggest fear about COVID and universities was. And um, at the time, I expressed what I the concern I had for what I would call a shadow effect, um, particularly for um, low-income first-generation students, and those aren't necessarily the same thing, but there is quite a bit of overlap in that Venn diagram. Um, that, that there was a likelihood that this would impact college um, going and college degree completion, particularly for those students. And what I what we have experienced is that is in fact um, happening. And there's a real threat. I think there is a, um, a, a potential longstanding shadow effect where students don't either um, um, move on from the K-12 experience onto the college experience for a number of reasons, which we can get into. Um, and we're seeing some really early empirical evidence of that. So our, our focus, in addition to all of the stuff you would think about naturally, which is how do you serve students online? You know, how do you make that shift? How do you deal with all the logistics of a university campus? It's really about the next year or two and just eliminating barriers to access for students. Um, and, and that, frankly, it's, it's, it's become the challenge of my life at the moment. Um, even the early this morning at 7.30 a.m. on a conversation with about 20 counselors from the Bethel School District talking about um, what their students are experiencing right now and why are they choosing not to complete the FAFSA? Why are they choosing not to apply to college? What is getting in their way? Um, it's, it's, it's an issue that's not going away anytime soon. Ivan, as Alan was talking about like that shadow and barriers, you were nodding very hard. Uh, I'm wondering just what's happening with enrollment at Tacoma Community College? Are you seeing the same shadow as well? Yes, I'm seeing the exact same things that Alan just described. And, you know, it was one of the fears that I and so many others had going into this pandemic. Um, so at the college, we have experienced about a 10% decline in enrollment over this past um, year. And when we look um, at community college enrollment across the country, um, that enrollment has declined much more than most four-year institutions as we look at it as an aggregate. And here in the state, our 10% um, decline is on the better end of the spectrum for community and technical college enrollment decline here in the state. Um, because we know our technical colleges have been impacted the greatest because of the nature of the programs um, in which they offer. But we're seeing the um, exact same things as we know um, the communities that have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic here in the United States are the exact same communities that we've seen are impacted at our institutions, though black and brown students, first generation college students, um, low students from low income backgrounds. Um, and so as an institution, we have been over the years keenly um, focused on our equity work. And during this time, it has become abundantly more clear the reason why that work is extremely important for our institutions. Yeah. yeah. Alan mentions some of the barriers that are present for students getting into higher education. Uh, Ivan, I wonder, what are some of the barriers you think that are preventing students from uh, getting into higher ed at your school and flourishing there or uh, once they're in school, not completing? So... Um, I think for a lot of folks, because you think at TCC, we're an open door institution. So if you want to come, you can come. And we have what programs or we serve what students from two years old, no, I think six months um, to I think our oldest graduate a couple of years ago, but something like 85 years old. So we're fortunate in, um, in that respect. But when we think about um, life circumstances are what really impact a lot of our students. You know, we do have a lot of traditional age college students, but again, we have um, a lot of working students, students with families. Um, so I think of a couple of things. One is exposure. Um, and you kind of touched on this particular piece of helping students really um, navigate the system and working with their family or whoever is their support structure and finding out what is the best option for them. And some students don't have that support structure. Some do have that support structure, but the community college is not um, an option that is presented to many of them. Um, and then you think about your first generation college students who don't necessarily have that structure and 
many ways are kind of left in our community to um, figure it out for themselves. So I think it's that exposure piece. And then again, life circumstances. Um, there was a study that was done um, over the past year that looked at why students came to UWT um, and to TCC and why they left. And the vast majority of it was life circumstances, whether it was loss of a job, I mean, something financial, um, and wasn't the college experience, even though we have a lot of work to do on that college experience, the um, greatest amount was the life circumstances. And we see that again, um, very, very clearly in this time that we've been dealing with COVID. Yeah. I want to affirm that really quickly. So like I taught in public school in the U.S. for, uh, what, 13 years. And I was always being beat about the head with research about like college proficiency and the number of kids that like go to university and don't finish. And 95 percent of the time made up number, but whatever uh, I sent a student to university. If they didn't finish, it was not about like these right. classes are too hard. It was about the life circumstances were too real. And that's an interesting point that you bring up, that, that, that the barrier to many people for completing higher education is not about aptitude or ability. It's about circumstance. Yeah. And we don't provide the supports for adult learners in particular who are trying to care for families. We don't provide the supports for young people who are struggling. And so that's, yeah. that's a really well-heard and well-received point. Yeah. Yeah. I, can I just echo what Ivan said? And, and frankly, Ivan, you just nailed it. Um, the difference here in this COVID world is that that kind of life experience getting in the way was happening after the students were in at TCC or at PLU. Now we're seeing it happen before they even consider the option. And, you know, I think about teachers like you, Nate, or counselors like I spoke to this morning, they're on the ground. And when you have a student who is working to help their family survive, they are not on a remote basis. They are not focused on filling out the FAFSA. They are not like they're not being even encouraged, right? It's not even in their view right now. So to be lacking that in-person opportunity for the counselor, the teacher to say, hey, you're a great student. You could succeed. This is your opportunity at TCC, at PLU, or UWT, wherever. And that's not happening. And that's part of the shadow. Uh, uh, you know, those um, the, this last year, just trying to identify those barriers and how on earth you approach breaking those down has been interesting. I've been I'm thrilled to watch the legislature and the state removing some of them on their own accord. You know, they just, um, the college bound program, which, you know, what happens in middle school, students have to apply, right? They have to, now they don't. So thanks to the state legislature, they've removed that barrier. It's an automatic enrollment, right? That's huge. That's, that's thousands and thousands of students who might not otherwise have that, um, even that view into a college experience. Now that's been eliminated, you know, and, and we've talked before, PLU has this wonderful, Two five three. If you're college bound eligible, you won't pay tuition for four years, right? So um, those kinds of barriers being eliminated. Um, this conversation this morning with the counselors. Um, one of the things that the reason we reached out to Bethel um, is to say, is there an opportunity for PLU? And I would encourage any other institution listening to do the same thing. Is the college application process can be daunting if you're a first and family student, if you're a marginalized student, right? So we are working with the counselors to say, tell us, based on your on-the-ground experience with your students, how you might identify students who will succeed in college, even if that means with a little support. And we're planning to eliminate the application process and say you're automatically admitted to PLU because you've gone to the Bethel School District and you've achieved this, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that is, that criteria. And if that works, we'll expand it. We'll do Tacoma School District. We'll do University Place. We'll do uh, Franklin Pierce, et cetera. And, and wouldn't it be awesome if we got to a point where, you know, students, black and brown students, first and family students, students who, who for whom this isn't part of their perspective, all of a sudden just get handed a letter to their senior year and say, you've been accepted into a university. You may not choose that university, but know that you are capable of doing this, right? You, you, this opportunity lies in front of you. That gets really exciting. Yeah. That makes me think about the program at UT with the 10%. Yeah. And so essentially, like, if you're in the top 10% of your graduating class in Texas, then you're automatically admitted to UT. And yeah. that that is a really helpful tool because if you're at a low-income school exactly. that has a majority black and brown population, then it's still top 10%. Yeah. And so... 
steps like that sound to me like proactive things that are thinking outside of the box and taking away barriers. I, I, I often struggle here in my context here. So like I'm teaching here in the Gulf and like a lot of the parents who I work with are parents who like went through international schooling themselves and went through IB programs. And so like they're saying to their kids, you have to do this IB program, you have to apply. And like the many of the gatekeeping aspects of the higher ed experience that were seminal to parents who were going to school in the 90s or in the 80s. Uh, are not as seminal, important, or useful, but trying to get people to understand that who don't want to understand that is, is difficult and an ongoing challenge for, for, yeah. for me, frankly. Yeah. Uh, Ivan, something you said, I, I, I want to kind of tug on a little bit. You said that you feel like there's still a lot of work to be done on campus. So something I think that's important about COVID is, is this is an opportunity for us to rethink everything. Absolutely. Right. And, and, and the worst thing that we can do after losing 500,000 Americans, after losing basically a year of schooling in person and that experience for people is be like, okay, cool, right back to normal. That's and so right. my, my wonder for you is like, what are some of the changes that have become apparent to you that you're inspired to make on your campus uh, going forward? So um, some smaller things and some larger things. But as you said, you know, we've had a lot of you hear people talk a lot about, oh, when are we going to return back to normal? Never, because I don't want us to return back to what the normal was a year or so. Whenever pre-COVID, you know, the time is just all come together. Um, I don't want us to go back to that because we have identified some things um, not just identify, but implemented some things to respond to COVID that we want to continue because those are things that we have found to be important in supporting students. Again, those who have traditionally um, been impacted by, you know, the epidemic, but also in regards to student success at the college. So, you know, even looking at um, redoing the way that we do placement. So not, you know, having multiple or having multiple measures but even guided self-placement for English, guided self-placement for math. So you think about um, what, are the, what are some of the barriers that we can take down? Um, when we talk about work in some of the uh, small thing, we talk about working with students from in a distance because it was very clear. Um, if I think of the, our ESL student population, um, mm. yeah, we know you're coming to the college to work on your English proficiency, but we're all online now, so just jump online and we're going to help you. So, you know, thinking about how do you understand the unique needs of your students and respond in ways that are addressing those things. So even being able to connect all students to all of our support services, even at a distance, whether it is having live support in Zoom lobby, changing processes to make students um, have the ability to request emergency funds in a much more um, efficient way looking at um, policies and procedures, as I said, using placement as an example, that have traditionally been a barrier for students. We couldn't um, have students come in and take a placement exam, right? So what did it do? It forced us to be thinking more creatively of how do we bring in students from a placement perspective, which has been conversation for a long time, but this caused us to do those things. Um, even as we think about what's happening inside of the classroom, faculty have done an amazing job. But they also, um, one of the things I found is um, all of us, um, and we say this, um, have we asked folk to give grace to each other during this time. And I found that has been happening more and more with faculty. Not decreasing standards, but understanding mm -hmm. that each one of those students, as well as faculty, staff, employees as well, are having very unique experiences and very unique needs right now. How they're juggling a student who has um, children at home, who they have to do the homeschooling, try to work, do their schooling. Night. So that grace piece has been something that wasn't planful, but I think has been extremely impactful. And I hope that the empathy um, that we have developed for one another, the grace that we've um, given each other and our students is something um, a little bit less tangible that I think um, is going to continue in our colleges as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I've personally remarked about how, so I'm, I'm dual income, no children, the, a, a classic dink. 
uh, my wife and I are both teachers. And like, I think all the time about how much harder my job would be if I was also like trying to raise children at the same time. And at the same time, I think about adult learners who are trying to take, take classes while their kids are in Zoom school or they supervise their kids in Zoom school and then they, they jump on Zoom school. And like, once you put yourself in the place of that person, it changes the way you view their circumstance and it changes like what you think is important and it really makes you hone, hone in what matters. And that's something that like has happened for me as an educator personally and something it's good to hear institutions are doing. Um, Alan, Alan to, you, yeah. to, to you, so yeah. same, same kind of concept, right? Yeah. Like what are some things that uh, you don't want to go back to after this? <laughs> I love that Ivan framed that as giving grace. Um, mm. uh, you know, the, the perspective that I, that's really hit me really hard in the best possible way is meeting students where they are and, and how COVID has allowed us to do that. And to, and that has made us rethink why on earth did we, why on earth were we set up the way we were set up before? Because we weren't there to meet students where they were. I'll give you a couple of examples. And then I, then I take it a step further to say the truth, the same is true of faculty and staff. So um, two things for students. So you think about the examples that Ivan gave, um, you know, students who are working and coming to school. They're learning online. They have jobs. They have family um, obligations. Our student support services are open eight to five on site, right? <laughs> so think about how easy is it for a student to get to student financial services because they they need to make uh, an appeal on financial aid and you know or, or they're at risk of not being able to continue their education. So now we have Zoom waiting rooms. You don't even have to set up an appointment, right? On your own terms, you come into a Zoom waiting room. And within, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you're going to have a financial aid counselor talking to you, right? Yeah. So awesome. Um, mental health. We were really, really, I guess, lucky that last February, we introduced 24-7 mental health, um, tele-mental health, salute so tele-mental health to our students. So as a campus, we have two and a half counselors. Um, and let me just say, they're all white, so if you are a black or brown student and you need mental health counseling, you need you just need to talk to someone. Are you going to walk into a building and walk up the stairs to the counseling center to talk to somebody who may not even understand your lived experience? So now being able to offer right 24-7, you choose the counselor. They may be across the country, but you're going to be able to make connections in a way by knowing who those counselors are, what their background is. They're going to be able to relate to you in a way. So now that's something that's never going to go away. We're going to keep that. Um, we're going to keep the, the Zoom waiting rooms. And for faculty and staff, um, one of the more interesting things I've seen and I've heard from parents and students is a student struggling in class would normally have to find office hours, right? But instead, the faculty are staying on, and uh, you can relate as a teacher and a faculty are staying on the line afterwards saying, hey, just hang on for a bit and yep. we'll continue to chat. And, you know, I have a parent reaching out to me as president saying, I couldn't believe my eyes when my daughter was struggling in class. And at 730 at night, her professor was still on just her and the student on the Zoom, continuing the conversation to get her back up to speed. So I think those things that we they're kind of these we know there are systemic barriers at institutions like PLU, you know, a long term, traditionally white dominated school. Um, and we talk a good game about you know doing the work and d d and i work to make to make this place better and more accessible and to see our students succeed and yet here are these alarm bells going off like why didn't we see this sooner why didn't we realize this it took it took covid for us to realize these things yeah. and if i can add on nate um to something that alan said and you're right it took you know i think some of it alan is we knew it but COVID forced us to actually do it yes. um, mm. as well as learning things along the way that you're like, why didn't we do this before? Yeah. Um, but the other thing that, and we've talked about students and Alan, you mentioned um, touch of this piece is also realizing that, which we should have known, but our employees are impacted. The Many of them are impacted the exact same, same way as our students. Um, you know, some folks, I think they look at college, university, employees and professors and think everyone makes a whole lot of money. That's not no, that's no. not true. Um, it, it's not. And so, you know, even doing things such as the foundation starting 
an emergency grant program for employees. We had never done that before. Um, yes, there. we also need to be working particularly as a community college to continue to get more money um, from the legislature to improve salaries, but that takes time. Um, and so, you know, thinking about what are the other supports, mental health supports, emergency assistance supports for our faculty and our staff as well, because we know if they're not taken care of, how we know it impacts the ability of them to um, take care of students in the most effective way as well. Mom always told me to praise in public and criticize in private. And so hearing you both talk about mental health, I want to just tell a story really fast that I experienced with a student at PLU. Mm. I had a former student who I had a very close relationship with who uh, had mental health issues and was having basically a mental health episode. Mm. And Melanie Cunningham, who works at PLU, uh, reached out to me and let me know that my former student was having an episode. Mm. And I, in that moment, had availability and I came to campus and I sat with her and her and uh, Melanie and I sat down for over an hour and just like let her decompress, let her kind of work through her issues. Uh, she's no longer on campus, but I know that she's going to finish her bachelor's degree. I can get tabs on her. Yeah. But like that shouldn't be, oh, there's this one person who knows this one teacher that should be the norm and that should be like the aspiration for universities that when there are students in crisis that we value their lives as much as we value their tuition dollars mm -hmm. and that we make sure that their needs are met and so i just want to praise your university for that happening because you may have saved a young lady's life there and i that's something that's that incident is always always with me even though it was like three years ago wow all right before I get worked up now, yeah, let's take a break. Let's take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, frankly, about some issues with higher ed that like, I'm curious about and selfish about, about uh, transfer students, articulation between K-12, and also like what's happening in grad schools. So we'll be back. This is Doug Mackey, producer of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Your student can go to college just about anywhere in the world, but have you thought about the school just down the street? When it comes to their undergraduate programs, PLU is a triple threat. First, PLU has a great liberal arts program that will expand young minds and help them thrive no matter where they go after leaving our campus. Second, PLU is part of the Tacoma and South Sound community, passing on the values of civic engagement to the next generation. And finally, PLU has programs that will prepare students for some of the most important and high-demand careers post-graduation. Liberal arts, civic engagement, and professional studies. A triple threat that will help your student thrive. To learn more, visit plu.edu slash admission. Now back to the show. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show today. And I want to say that this conversation is an important conversation in our community about two institutions have a lot of influence. I think conversations like this with leaders like this are important. And I think the honesty that you're hearing is a level of honesty that you're not going to hear in other forums. If you enjoy the honesty of these conversations and the honesty of the show, I'm going to implore you to join Channel 253 as a member. A membership to Channel 253 costs $4 a month or $40 a year. And your membership of Channel 253 supports this show, also the show The Interchangeable White Ladies, uh, the show Citizen Tacoma, which has been interviewing members of the city council uh, and local politicians about policy and having in-depth conversations. Uh, and then also, honestly, a show that I've slept on from time to time, uh, What Say You, is a conversation between Melanie Cunningham and her sister Audrey. Uh, it's effing hilarious like if you if you have not listened go back and listen to the show uh america needs colon hydrotherapy like it is it is just spectacular frank honest conversation uh, so like like just big up to the cunningham sisters like they cracked me up for about seven hours this week so if you are interested in local storytelling and podcasts channel253.com slash membership four dollars a month four dollars a year gentlemen let's get back to it there's a few topics i want to kind of walk through that are things that I've been thinking about higher ed that I, I want to put in front of you. Uh, thing one, a university is a place of learning that students enter and leave. 
But also, frankly, it's a pretty large piece of real estate that occupies like a large space, like square footage wise, mileage wise, kilometer wise in a city. We talked about how COVID is helping you rethink like institutionally what you do with instruction and pedagogy. But I wonder, how is COVID helping you rethink the actual physical space on your campuses? Wow. Do you want me to start? I, yeah, please. You yeah, know, that frankly has now. been one of the biggest surprises for me is how COVID made me stop and think about the space and how we utilize it, but also how we outreach to community or, or interact with community. So, you know, PLU, for those who aren't familiar, 156 acres of park-like setting in the middle of Parkland, the largest unincorporated area in the state by population, right? Um, a real interesting combination of urban and rural, uh, one of the most diverse two school districts in the state surround us. And yet with no fences and a place that prides, it prides itself as being open, we, there is a term, the loot dome, and it's this non-existent kind of um, barrier, right, that, that, that exists between PLA and the community. And that, that goes back to the roots of the institution. That's something obviously that's changing over time. What has occurred to me and has occurred to our campus is to stop um, our long tradition of reaching out to people with money and asking them to invest in a specific thing that benefits PLU. And to start reaching out with the resources we do have and space, square footage, land is one of them. And to say, how can we have a collective impact in the community? So we own some wonderful property a few blocks from here right on, on, on Pacific Avenue. Is there an opportunity to build a community center? Um, we own 39 acres of what used to be a nine-hole golf course. Is there an opportunity for attainable housing? Is there an opportunity for parks? Is there an opportunity to partner with the four indigenous tribes who used to trade on the land where we sit today to partner with them to rebuild the camas grass that they used to harvest and come together and to make that a conservancy? So there are these incredible opportunities to rethink how does an institution like this belong in community and become part of it rather than kind of taking from it. And that, that frankly is, I, I think Ivan said earlier, it's like we've always known it, right? But now we got to do it. And that's been the realization for me is where we don't, have, like Ivan said earlier as well, our folks don't make a lot of money. Frankly, our faculty could make more money getting their master's in teaching, believe it or not, Nate, <laughs> and going and teaching in the Tacoma School District. Yeah. But they choose to stay here for a reason. And um, I mean, part of that reason is community. So let's let's truly live out that, that collective impact model as part of Parkland, as part of the Greater South Sound. Yeah, I'm just going to ask you to add to your list sure. uh, more pipe organ concerts. <laughs> so if, if you're not from the area and don't know, PLU has like the most gorgeous classical pipe organ. And uh, probably four or five times in my life, I've been on campus for a concert events of some sort. And it is just like, it is it is the move. Honestly, if you're an old school Tacoma head, like pizza and pipes, little pizza place on Mildred, same idea, same idea, same idea. All right. Uh, Ivan's like, what is pizza and pipes? So Ivan, how about you? How are you rethinking space at TCC? Well, I don't know what pizza and pipes is, but I can attest to the pipe organ at PLU. It's it's the voice of God, and so it is always um, good to hear it. Um, but you know, a couple of things came to mind. Um, you know, one of the things over my time in higher ed that I have um, focused on is kind of the physical spaces, and you know, primarily a lot of my experience was in student affairs and. So many of the spaces were very transactional. So, and this is the same here um, at TCC, where you come up to the business window and there's, you know, it's like you're at a bank. So what is interesting and, you know, having the, the plastic in between, to me, that's very transactional. Where I really like to bring down those barriers and so you can have more relational um, interactions. But now we got to balance that with the safety portion. And so we're actually going in the opposite direction. And so really where we need to put up more plastic barriers and things for um, everyone to be safe is we're reopening. So it is this balance right now of how do you still create an environment that is welcoming to students, faculty, staff, um, community members, but is also safe. 
And so that means, you know, putting up these barriers and things again, that um, hopefully our time away from one another will um, encourage us to be even more relational, just naturally when we start to come back to campus because we haven't seen one another. The other thing that I've thought about is, again, when we're talking about spaces is taking this opportunity to um, think about how do we adjust some of our spaces so that students see themselves in those spaces. Because we know, again, black, brown students, first generation students from low-income backgrounds have been disproportionately impacted. And there are lasting effects to that, as Alan mentioned a little bit earlier. So what can we do so that when students are back on campus, they can see themselves, whether it is changing artwork, whether it is um, putting up murals or whatever the, the case may be. Um, and then a big thing that we have been focused on from a face, um, space perspective is what can we do to um, better assist our students who are homeless or near homeless, couch surfing, et cetera. We do have a wonderful partnership with Tacoma Housing Authority, the College Housing Assistance Program. Um, but we're in some learning conversations about potentially building a residence hall on campus um, as well. We've paused on that for a number of reasons, but it is still something we're very, very interested in um, working towards. The other thing I'll say is um, when we're looking at space, actually prior to the pandemic, we were starting to have some conversations about, you know, how do we adjust some of our computer labs? So again, it's more relational instead of just these rows of computers, et cetera. But now our conversation is how do we better equip some of our lecture um, classrooms, halls, et cetera, because we know that the importance of increasing our remote instruction and that and that need is not going to go away. And so what we've also learned is how flexible we can be with even things that we're on here, Zoom today. Um, we've become pretty um, proficient in these things. And so how do we also adjust our spaces so that can continue? So if a mother um, is enrolled in an English one-on-one class that is typically on campus, um, her babysitter can't come that night. Why can't we, why should we not, why haven't we had our classroom set up with the technology so that she can still beam in, um, as you used to say, I think it was in Star Trek, beam in to the conference and doesn't have to miss that day. Um, so we're also thinking about, um, you know, how do we adjust some of the technology in our spaces as well? That's, that's it's, it's so interesting how COVID has revealed the need for things that have always been there, but we now only see the need for them. Ah, so interesting, so interesting. All right, I, I want to I pivot a little bit and I kind of want to walk through the life of a student from your point of view and your perspective on like what's going well and what's not. Uh, I would be remiss as a high school teacher if I didn't talk about like K-12 higher ed communication. So from both of your perspectives, what are we getting right and what are we getting wrong in K-12 as far as preparing students and not preparing them academically, but also uh, helping them make determinations about what's best for them in higher education? Alan, take this one first, please. Oh, my gosh. So many things, Nate. Um, you know, the preparedness issue, and you touched on this earlier, one of the things that um, um, should not be, um, I think, well, let me say it should be obvious, and, and, it, and it's not, unfortunately, is that every school is different. The makeup of every school is different in K-12, right? And so the experiences are different. Standardized tests um, for, for admission to school, um, kind of the assumption that a 4.0 at one school is different than a 4.0 at another, um, and just the way that, um, based on the resources in a K-12 program, do students have access to counselors? Do they have access to folks who are knowledgeable about the, the, the process to get to community college, technical college, university? Um, it amazes me that we still struggle with that and that we haven't just eliminated those barriers. You heard me talk about that example earlier about working with Bethel and how I would just love it if every institution could go to, and you mentioned the, the UT system, um, make it an, an automatic thing not a jumping through hoops thing, right? Uh, so there's that. I would say that the K-12 program, the K-12 system is doing a good job, contrary to popular belief of preparing students for college. I would say that it's how we receive those students 
and how we support them when they get here that has been the failure. So Nate, you've done a great job of teaching your students. We've had your students here, right? Where, where they have been failed is not their own doing, it's ours. So if you're a black or brown student and you come here and, and I look, this gets back to this technology shift. If you're in the classroom and you're one of two black male students in the classroom and the faculty member calls you by the name of the other student, that kind of microaggression, that kind of kind of systemic racism that happens is actually happening less on Zoom, right? So we're actually hmm. seeing this kind of interesting, we worried that, you know, lower income families weren't going to have the technology. So we issued computers, right? Broadband, we provided broadband access. So you can deal with that up front. But what we're, what we're seeing and what we're hearing directly from students is their experiences change. They feel safer being in their own space, right? That says a lot about university systems, that you're safer in your own space talking to a screen and your professor and your classmates than you are in person in the classroom. So uh, that has kind of emboldened us as an institution to think about what are our commit commitments to truly being anti-racist. It's going to have year impact for us for years to come in terms of the resources we provide students, the way we um, welcome students to campus. So just a, a small example, um, again, from the, you're probably going to go, well, that's so damn obvious now. Why didn't you do this years ago? <laughs> um, so, you know, we're still, where a campus is 43% BIPOC students, but black males, for example, very low representation and by far the least successful in terms of persistence. And that's on us. That's not on those students. They're prepared. We're not serving them well. So when they get here and you're placed into an advising um, situation where you're assigned an advisor and your advisor doesn't look at you, doesn't look like you, doesn't understand you, doesn't share your, your doesn't have any indication of your shared experience like, and how they overlap. So we've pulled non-traditional advisors, you know, Melanie Cunningham and folks that are on staff to say, will you take on an advisor role? Right. And so can we offer indigenous students and South Pacific Asian Islander students and black and brown students the opportunity to have advisors who can speak to them, really, truly speak to them? Um, and that's something we initiated this last fall. Hugely successful. The first year retention rate during COVID has been higher than the first year retention rate the year before pre-COVID. And it's been higher for those marginalized populations on our campus. We are looking at a fall where we have, like I mentioned, the shadow really worried about not just our own institutional, like how many students we're going to have, but who's going to be impacted most. As of yesterday, the number of white students depositing at PLU is down, and it's down by a pretty sizable number. The number of black and brown students depositing at PLU is up. And I think that's a direct reflection of these learnings. It's a direct reflection of what do we do when the students get here? Because K-12 is not the problem. We are. Hmm. Ivan, I'm really curious about, about your situation and thoughts on this in particular, given the role that TCC plays and being kind of the place where a lot of Tacoma students in, end up. So from your point of view, uh, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong in K-12? And I have to agree with Alan. Um, I don't think it is um, what K-12 is doing right or wrong. Um, I think of what is our community doing right or wrong? Because this is a community issue. And if you think about the richness and just not the number of higher ed institutions, but the diversity of them in Pierce County, there should, no institution have, should have an enrollment concern. And there should be no person within our community that is not connected to a form of education we have this vast diversity of institutions. Um, and to me, so it is a community problem. And so um, when I think of the college perspective, I agree with um, Alan. It's to me, the issues come in the transition um, between the, um, a student graduating from high school and enrolling at one of our institutions um, and the support that is given um, throughout that transition and at the institution. And, you know, one of the things I've um, stressed more and more at TCC is us ensuring that we're a student-ready college. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, prior, it's all on the student. They, you know, the student didn't do this. The high school, K-12 system didn't do that. Okay, maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter 
because they're a student with us right now. So what are the kinds of things that we need to do to support them? And we're doing a lot of work with redesigning systems um, called the Guided Pathways. And that's something that is kind of um, gone throughout kind of a movement within the community college world of really redesigning the systems, um, the policies, the structures. Because if you look at um, higher education institutions across the country, whether it's Harvard, whether it's POU, whether it's TCC, Pierce, et cetera, as much as we're different, we are so much alike. Our structures, we have presidents and VPs and provosts. And, I mean, our structures are so alike and they're not producing the outcomes that, not, that any of us are satisfied with. So it is now really rethinking, what do we need to change in our systems, our structures, our policies, so that we do become a student-ready college that is really supporting the needs of students. And you know, I really um, think about the, the reason that I um, work in community colleges is because of the extreme diversity of the students but that is a good thing and a challenge because then how do you um, structure your institution to provide the support to a very, very diverse student population? So this reminds me of a conversation I had about a year ago. So about a year ago, I sat down with the person who is now the director of admissions at Seattle University and a college admissions counselor. And we talked mad mess about the college board because the college board sucks. Uh, and then we also talked about like, you both nodded, um, for the record. Um, and then we both talked about also um, the choices that students who were graduating in 2020 like, needed to make. And one of the things that I said is that every kid graduating in 2020 should very, 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 too many varies, but very, very much consider the reality of going to a community college for the first two years before transferring to a university to finish their diploma. I, I want to pose this to both of you as somebody who walked this path. Talk to me a little bit, like help me understand how your schools view transfer students and the role they play on campus and the role they play for you designing programs. Uh, since students start in community college, Ivan, we'll start with you. So um, one thing to, that is important for all of us to continue to remind myself of, and it touches a little bit on what I just mentioned with the diversity of institutions that we have is we have so such diversity of students uh, of institutions that there are great options for every single person within our community. The, the TCC community colleges are great opportunities for folks, but there are students who another institution, PLU, UWT, UPS, is the right place for them to start. So I think about again how as a community do we ensure that. Students have information, are informed with their families, support structures, et cetera. Here are your options and help them um, pick the right option that's best for them. And so at TCC, um, I think it's about 55% of our students are enrolled in programs to transfer on to a four-year institution. So the transfer aspect of, of our college is extremely important. And as you know, um, the vast majority of students who transfer from us are the number one place is uh, UWT and PLU. UWT and, and PLU, they're one, two, two, one. Um, <laughs> so they're up there. Um, it's either UWT, PLU. Um, and of course, other places as well. And one of the things that I think some people don't really recognize or talk about a lot is, you know, we have students who are graduating going to Harvard, MIT, Yale. I mean, institutions just across the country and in our local community. So the transfer piece is important. Where I think all of us could do a better job is, as Alan and I both mentioned, the transition from K-12 to higher ed, the transition between the two-year and the four-year institution. And <clears throat> some do well. Um, POU is very connected to the college. Um, you know, I think of the music program, our music faculty collaborate with one another. I think I told Alan my first year that I was here, every person, student who I was interacting with who is a music major, who is transferring, like 99.999% of them were going to POU. And it is because of the interaction of the faculty and not just um, providing the um, mechanics around transfer, but the relation of that transfer experience 
and kind of a very warm handoff from one institution to another. That's different for other institutions. Um, you know, we have that strong relationship with UWT. UWT has a, an advisor that is um, that is located on our campus virtually right now um, to provide that direct transfer knowledge and experience. And again, we are fortunate to have relationships with like UWT and POU because that transfer is more than the mechanics. It is this relationship between both institutions to ensure that students um, are transferring and getting the support they need. And that's also important to remember this relationship is because we're seeing more and more of the reverse transfer too, where students are at four years and coming to two years. Um, and so that relationship between the two year and the four year, I think is extremely important um, as we discuss kind of transfer students and their success. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny to me because the hardest working student on any community college campus is the early 40s, late 30s black woman who is working her full time job and then has the rolling backpack with her books like she dominated every class I was ever in when I was at Pierce College and she dominated every class I was in at Pierce, uh, sorry, ever in at night. Like, like that person is that transfer student, like that person is a boss and they there's somebody who like when we think about community colleges, universities, that's a face we don't think of that we should think about. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, the big lie, the big myth the thing that drives me absolutely crazy. And this comes from somebody who did attend a four year and now is a president in a four year is that technical and community colleges in any way, shape or form are less than that is so wrong. Um, let's just let's just say it bluntly. Community and technical colleges have done a better job of doing what I talked about earlier, and that's meeting students where they are. Right. The, the straight to four year is not the right path for everyone. The straight to community college is not the right path for everyone. But I'll tell you what, our transfer students, they come prepared because you just noted kind of a small subset there, Nate. They're kicking and they're scratching and they're working and they've made it work. And that's not true for every right. Everybody like I have a nephew you know, another poster child for white privilege who, when I went off to WSU, he went off to Yakima Community College um, because he needed that transition. That was the right transition for him. It was closer to home. He could work. He could work on his studies. And then he transferred to a four-year. He's done great, right? And so this, this concept, and I, I love that Ivan referred to us as a community earlier, that it's an either or. If you as a student visit any college, any university, and the, and, the, and the admissions officer, the president, staff member, faculty member will tell you, this is the right place for you. Turn around and walk away. Great. Because you need to determine what's right for you. Not somebody who has met you and only known you for 10 minutes and has looked at your transcript. Turn around and walk away. Find the place that's right for you. If there's something about that place, even though the person told you this is the right place for you, that you find appealing, Look for that elsewhere as well. Like, what, what is that right mix for you? Will the university meet you where you are? Do they have what you need? Do they have the support services for you, you as an individual? Not in, until I just, um, I talk to, um, and I actually do tours of campus sometimes. I'll just jump in and take over a tour. And that's one of the things that always shocks parents and families is to say, um, don't choose PLU if it's not the right place for you, right? Ha let us help you find the right place. Right. It's kind of that weird um, miracle on 34th Street where, you know, you send people to Gimbals or whatever the store is because they actually have a better deal. I think that's what we should all be doing, frankly. Um, and Ivan, just so you know, it's always number one and two in terms of transfer students coming in between Pierce and TCC. So we're kind of in the same place, right? Our TCC, we get, we get uh, at any one time, we have one to 200 um, transfer students from, from TCC and they're amazing. They come prepared. And, you know, in the there are national studies that talk about the success of community college students when they transfer. And the vast majority of those studies say show that those students do just as well as the students who started as a freshman and many times better. Better. Um, and, you know, again, all of this to say that it is part of our job as a community to make sure that students and families know options and help connect them to the option that's best for them. I remember at my last place I mentioned, um, I would go, you know, be invited to go talk about 
college and um yeah i was an executive vice president of an institution yes i wanted students to come there but i talked about the diversity of colleges and things folks should be considering yes um that place was a great place but it wasn't the right place for everyone so again how do we expose students to these various diversity of um, higher education and help connect them with the place that suits their needs the best all right. This is the final question. And Alan, this is for you in particular. I had the experience of going through graduate school on a small liberal arts campus. And there's something magical about that experience, not being on a giant like state school. Uh, what are the grad programs being currently offered by PLU? And are there any being added to the menu in the near future? Oh, wow. No, great question. I, I think that there's, um, there's another example of kind of continuing that concept of um, how do we how do we contribute to community rather than just take from community? So we have wonderful grad programs and I could brag about them all day long. We have the top um, kinesiology um, program in the, in the Northwest, not just the state. Um, we have grad programs in nursing and education. Um, I was on that call with the counselors this morning at Bethel. Three of them spoke up and said they're getting their cover your ears, Nate, administrative certification at PLU. <laughs> I got I got a head, a head nod the other direction on that one. <laughs> um, we have, you know, master's in marriage and family therapy and it goes on and on. But one of the things we've been asking ourselves is what's missing in the community? Where are there needs in the community? Um, mental health, right? So there's a huge disparity of health equity in our community. I mean, South Sound, national, global, there's health equity issues. So one of our areas of focus is how do we solve for that? And it's going out into the healthcare systems. It's going out into the community and saying, what's missing? What do we need? So right now we're working on um, potential new programs. We're going to, um, you know, kind of breaking news. We're going to be bringing forward a master's in social work. We have a wonderful social work program here in undergrad. And we need more folks who look like the community, who are from the community. Almost 80% of our students stay right here in the South Sound and work and live and contribute. So it's on us to start adding, um, you know, more programs that students, that people need satisfy those holes, if you will. Um, so there's one and there are more to come. I, I suspect we're going to be offering uh, more specialties in nursing. Um, and I've challenged our campus to go out um, in conversation, in partnership, and come back and add five to 10 new programs in the next decade from a graduate perspective. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you all making time for this conversation. If people listening to this want to connect with you, uh, in the real world or online, uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Ivan, how about you first? Um, so I'll answer that real quick, but also want to remind folks that um, TCC, we do have four bachelor's degrees. In, oh, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, in go ahead. Bachelor's. Yeah, go ahead. But no, not, you can't let, uh, can't let Alan. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, it aligns with just what we're talking about. Um, how do you meet the needs of your community? Um, mm -hmm. And so we do have four bachelor, bachelor's degrees, health information management, community health, applied management and IT and network um, systems and technology. So again, there is so much diversity of institutions in our community um, and so many different opportunities. And now it's our job to how do we connect them. Um, but you can reach me at um, email is iharrell, so I-H-A-R-R-E-L-L at tacomacc.edu. Um, or 253-566-5100. And I also have Twitter, um, but I can't remember. Uh, oh, I think it's TCC Chris, but I'm going to look real quick because I do not want to be on Nate Bowling's show given false information. So <laughs> I'll confirm that and let you know here in a second. <laughs> Alan, how about you? Oh, I love it. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is um, email, and you can you can do a number of ways. It's um, president at plu.edu, or if you like the short form, just prez at plu.edu. Uh, you can also show up on campus. Um, I'm in the Haugie Admin Building, Room 118. I welcome visitors um, if you're interested, just in you know chatting. It doesn't even have to be about enrolling. Um, just come and chat. Uh, I love it. Um, I also have open office hours for students. So if you have students listening to this, I keep trying to remind them of that, that there's time specific to students. So um, appreciate you inviting this, Nate. It's been a great conversation. I'm going to make time to stop by campus and see you this summer. I'm right. just going to make that a commitment. Thank you.
Ivan, did you verify your Twitter handle? At T-C-C-P-R-E-S. So thank you. So I wanted to confirm that. Give that man a a follow, (laughs) y'all. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Wakanda forever, y'all. Wash your damn hands. Wear a mask. And if you are listening to this and are an elected official, you need to hold the police that killed Manuel Ellis accountable. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Ivan, you're showing me up with your background. <laughs> well, I mean, but you're in, you're in the office, and the office always looks better than the background. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows, Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.